Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. And now, welcome tonight's host, John the Vernomatic Verno. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to week two of Rocktober, the preferred month of rockers and thrashers around the globe. Visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website. There you'll find direct streaming links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. While you're there, download some past shows. And also do us a favor, if you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, go in there and leave a review. Subscribe to it. When you leave a review, that helps the Google analytics of the show, and it helps uh, more people get in touch with us and you know get exposed to the show. We also have a new location where you could visit, podchaser.com. Go to podchaser.com. In the search box, just punch in Metal Mayhem ROC. We pop right up. And do us a favor. Quickly leave a review. Rate the podcast. That kind of stuff really helps. Let's see. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've had some fun shows. Last week, we had a year in review of Eddie Van Halen passing away. We had Greg Renoff, the Van Halen author on. Him and show contributor Mike DiGiorgio joined me along with Ian O'Rourke. And we had a general Van Halen discussion. A couple of weeks ago, Ian and I did a review of the Alice Cooper Ace Freely tour stop in from Utica. That's a good one. And we've been doing this series, The History of Metal. All these are on the archive drop-down box at the website. Tonight, we're continuing that History of Metal series. It's the year 1978. A lot of good things happening in 78. Van Halen came around. Scorpions are releasing a live album. Priest is releasing a couple albums. The Kiss solo albums. There's stuff going on everywhere. Sabbath is breaking up. They're releasing their last bit. Um, too much to mention. So let's get 78 started. Live from New Jersey. Metal Mayhem ROC correspondent, Metal Walt. Hey, Walt. How you doing, man? I'm great. How you doing, Ian? How you doing, Verno? I'm doing fine. Hey, doing good there, Walt. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. So let's get into this. I think uh, let's talk a little bit about the progression between 1977 and 1978. Um, to say it nicely and simply, I think it's just more of the same in a very good and positive way. I think this is where the period of the 70s was really at, let's say, the top of the mountain. And you really can't differentiate much from 77 to 78. I think we do and will start see changes as we head towards 1980. But in reality, guys, this is just another uh, year of just killer American bands and European bands and all the big names, most of them out there, I should say, you know, releasing albums or maybe sometimes two a year, more, more live albums, just adding to the repertoire and seeing their catalogs grow. I mean, I think you couldn't really ask uh, for a better time, especially to be involved in that hard rock and metal era. So I think it was a great time again to, uh, to be a fan. And uh, I think we can just start getting into some of the summary of the artists here. So um, I'm going to kick it off and talk a little bit about the continuation of what I've brought to the table before, which is that Deep Purple family tree. Um, I think as previously mentioned, Deep Purple is now at this point in time in 78, they're dead. Um, I mean, they're gone. They actually finished up in 76. Um, but what we see in 78 um, are a couple of interesting things, right? We see the Ian Gillen band, uh, actually, it's a, it's a slight change, it's a subtle change, but it's worth calling out. Um, apparently, Ian Gillen himself was not pleased with the format of the Ian Gillen band and the players that he had on it, and he described it as more of a jazz fusion type, uh, let's say, setup in his band, and he wanted to just go back to a straight rock band, so he re-enlisted mostly new players, and he just started calling it the Gillen band. 
And he brought in uh, a bassist, a well-known bassist named John McCoy. And they released the first Gillen album called the Japanese album in 1978. Also debuting was, let's say, the, the initial Whitesnake catalog. So we saw two releases in 78. One was the EP uh, called Snakebite that came out in June. Now, this was only four songs. And really what uh, David Coverdale had done was he had been out on the road with his solo project, Northwinds. And he took the musicians in his touring band and brought them into the studio. And they started, you know, noodling around and creating some songs, which became that four song EP under the name Whitesnake. Um, later in the year, the Trouble album came out. And this was the first full release with, with uh, Mickey Moody, Bernie Marsden, Neil Murray, and John Lord. Um, and again, it was just a strong release. And uh, oddly enough, the title uh, came from a little bit of the humor that David Coverdale has is this was the year of the birth of his first child. And I guess maybe it was just an interesting time for him. So he nicknamed uh, or titled the name, uh, the album named Trouble. So that kind of covers Gillen and Whitesnake. And then of course you have uh, the Rainbow family. Now Rainbow at the time, this was really an interesting because this one ended up being the final studio release with Ronnie James Dio. Uh, the album of course is legendary and uh, called Long Live Rock and Roll. Um, there was a change in the lineup. Bob Daisley came in. Jimmy Bain was out. Um, and uh, really, this album is just loaded with really, really staple hard rock songs that, you know, you can still play today. And they stand up with the, the test of time. I mean, yes, the title track's a little overplayed. But when you think about songs like Kill the King and Gates of Babylon, I mean, those songs still, I, I could put Kill the King on every single time and play that. 40 times over the course of a year and it still never gets old. I think it's just that killer of a song. Um, and I think there's, there's even some really good deep tracks on this album. I think of a song that closes out the album called Rainbow Eyes. It's, it's kind of a moody, acoustic-y. It's got some weird instrumentation. I can't tell if it's Asian instrumentation or a flute in there, but kind of a real cool like minstrel type song and it, that really ends the album. So, um, of course, at this point in time, you know, after this is where Ronnie exits and Graham Bonnet comes in. So we can almost say this is a closeout in 78 of that classic Ronnie James era. Um, but man, what a great album to end that period. So really all good stuff there on that Deep Purple family tree. Yeah, uh, Walt, to add to your comment, I mean, I love some of the deep tracks, you know, like uh, The Shad, LA Connection, you know, those are still some really great songs. This album is just that culmination, you know, I mean, when you, you talk about that trinity of albums by certain bands, you know, you got the the first Rainbow album, you got Rising, and then now you have this as the closer for them. I mean, that's, I guess if there was, if Ronnie had to go out, that's probably the best way to go. Totally agree. Totally agree that uh, that Rainbow with Ronnie is timeless. Absolutely love it. Uh, Ian, any bands from our, some of the veteran bands that have been kicking around, what are they doing in 78? You know, the uh, Bostons or the um, UFOs or the Thin Lizzies. What's going on in their camps? So Thin Lizzy releases Live and Dangerous, which is arguably one of the best, quote unquote, live albums um, to come out of the 70s. It's just chock full of great material. You know, starts off with the killing jailbreak, Emerald. Uh, you know, you have uh, the the uh, Bob Seger cover Rosalie uh, with the, the half, uh, the cowgirl song, as they call it, you know, where they kind of mishmash things together. You know, you got some of the ballady stuff, but then they break out songs like, you know, Warriors and Suicide and Are You Ready? And Are You Ready is one of those tracks that you never heard on an album. It was only ever played live by Thin Lizzy, which is cool because capturing it on vinyl like they did back then that big double vinyl set you know i mean it just was amazing and then their german friends the scorpions did the same thing they released the tokyo tapes and i mean all night long pictured life backstage queen you know in trance will burn the sky i mean this is another one that is just chock full of classic songs and i made the comment I think it was in 76 that I could live if I needed to on a desert Island with a collection of the live albums that came out in this period. 
of the seventies, because it's just, a, it's basically the greatest of the greatest hits from all of these bands and to have them with that energy and that vim and vigor that you want to hear the band play in that just freaking catapults it into another level. Oh, totally agree. The only wish um, somewhere down the line, they either remastered it or did something. It's a little muddy for my liking, but 78's Tokyo tapes saw the end of the chapter of the early Scorpions and the departure of Yuli Roth. He leaves the band. There's a follow-up. Michael Schenker came back for a cup of coffee, and Matthias Jabs um, began his stay. But Yuli started his uh, solo band, the Yuli Roth Electric Sun Outfit. Any input, either of you guys, on that Yuli Roth early uh, solo stuff? I will say that I know some of the material. Um, He still continued to have that mix of the psychedelic kind of Hendrixy sound that he tend to encapsulate with some of the early Scorpions material, but still had some of his, uh, I guess you could say some of his neoclassical uh, shredding moments uh, laden with some hard rock. It, It was some pretty cool material for anybody that may want to check it out. Yeah, it was a little spacey, a little freaky, but, you know, looking back now, that's where his headspace was. You know, he wanted to stay in that area, and obviously with the follow-up albums with the Scorpions, hey, they're trying to get bigger, break into America, so that was the route they had to take. As long as we're on this um, little subject of live albums, 78 saw ACDC release in two albums, Powerage their fifth studio album and a single live album. If you want blood, you got it. Now the studio album filled with um, chestnuts, rock and roll, damnation, down payment, blues, riff, raff, sin city. But then they went around and they uh, were captured live for the, if you want blood, you got it release. It's their only live album with bond Scott. This album was just loaded with at the time a lot of those uh songs from power Ridge, but high voltage uh the jack had a different lyrical content than from on the tnt album whole lot of rosies become a staple with that angus chant right when the song starts well what's your take on if you want blood you a fan of the acdc mid to late 70s material yeah, I love this material. I think there's some, you know, just great, strong material. And these are songs that came out of these albums that that maybe they don't come to your brain on the first uh, thought when you think ACDC, right? But um, I'll pick on tracks like such as Hell Ain't a, Play, a Bad Place to Be or Rock and Roll Damnation. I mean, again, these are songs like you hear them and you're like, man, this stuff is just good shit. And uh, just something that doesn't come to that forefront of your mind when you think ACDC. And uh, it's just a, a shame that, you know, they're, again, at a really high point, And within a couple of years, they're going to go through a whole nother change with singers. But definitely good stuff. Uh, I got to say that um, this is another one of those live albums. And when you're hearing them captured the way that they are, and I've, I've never heard much in the way of, you know, people talking about this album being, you know, overly doctored in the studio. I'm sure that they did a little bit of dabbling with it. But you hear the tenacity and the energy that the band is playing with. And when you're hearing Angus and Malcolm screaming through those Marshall stacks, it's just overwhelming. It's, it's one of those things that kind of makes the hair on your arms stand up when you listen to it. It's really, really great stuff. You know, Ian, that's funny that you say that about the album being doctoring or whatnot, because it seems to be those one album live albums capture the, the concert a little more authentically. You know, like uh, later in the decade, you know, when we talk about Unleashed in the East, it it had that kind of same dynamic. So uh, another great album that came out in 78, uh, North of the Border, Rush, Hemispheres. Now, this is a real good time with Rush because they're coming off of uh, the success of 2112 and Farewell to Kings. So while they were doing the tour for the Farewell to Kings, they're over in the UK. They really built up a positive vibe. So they decided to stay there and start working on the next album. Recorded in Rockfield Studios in London, 
Terry Brown's producing it. So they have this continuity that they really struck gold with, with the 2112, Farewell to Kings, now it's Hemispheres. And again, this is one of those albums where they're still indulging in the concept style of writing. Side one of Hemispheres, it's the entire side. You know, it's one song, but it has, you know, six parts. Side two, three classics. Circumstances, The Trees, and La Villa Shanjigato. As it says in the liner notes, an exercise in self-indulgence. This ended up being the end of their conceptual period of writing. I give the album a nine, one of my all-time favorites. Guys, what's your take on Rush Hemispheres? Ian? Yeah, you nailed it again, Verno. I mean, you know, that, you know, going even back to Fly By Night with and Caress of Steel with some of the conceptual pieces, the pieces are getting longer, taking up, you know, as you said now, again, another full side, you know, with Cygnus X1, book two, you know, but then you've got the more, uh, let's say radio friendly or, you know, uh, more, uh, you know, AOR, whatever you want to call it, friendly songs, you know, Circumstances, The Trees, La Villa Strangiato. I mean, that piece alone for the musicality that it has within it with no singing just completely blows other musicians right out of the water. You know, and I had said it before. I mean, when can you think of three guys that have made that much sound and music together by themselves and been able to do it without having to do a lot of extra takes and a lot of add-ons and a lot of all this other stuff. They're usually doing it in a live setting. They practice it live so that way they can pull it off live. And kudos. I mean, it's just, it's another great album. Well, well, uh, what's your memories and take on Hemispheres? Yeah, I mean, I think side two sums it up for me. I mean, again, uh, you know, what, what Ian mentioned here, I mean, circumstances is a quick, catchy, fast-paced, quick time changes there, hits the point, really cool little song. I mean, the trees in and of itself, I mean, the music is awesome, but the story behind it, the metaphor <laughs> behind the oaks <laughs> and the maples, uh, it, it's just amazing because it, it's really, a, it's a political type song about, you know, you, you name it, a country to country, you know, politics, whatever it is, it really is Neil at his best at that time, uh, phrasing something and taking you know, an example of something, but really the message is a, com- a complete other other thing. I actually have a, a lyrical print hanging in my home office, a rush wall, and the trees is up there. I have a, it's an 8 by 10 lyrical print of that song with every single lyric on it, just for a side note. And of course, La Vila, I mean, what can you say? I mean, that thing is just amazing, upside down, inside and out. I mean, I've seen Rush, I don't know, 20, 25 times, and, and on the tours they played it, I looked forward to that point because it was always typically towards the end right before they broke for the encore they finished up in that one and it just had the mood changes you know alex would be taking different guitars out you'd have the lasers coming down and it was just a point where you saw the crowd just kind of quiet down and just watch they just observed they looked you're now two hours into the show and now you just look and you say my god this is what this band is all about um and another just uh you know piece of music that every time it comes on or you hear it or you want to hear it it's right there for you and something that you, you just completely love and you, you like to indulge in. So it's just great stuff. Uh, no doubt. Uh, Ca- Canada's best rush. Let's get over to the UK. Walt, what's going on with Sabbath? What's going on with uh, Judas Priest? What are the powerhouses over there doing? Black Sabbath, uh, they released uh, the album Never Save Die in 1978. Um, this would be their, their final release with... Uh, original singer Ozzy and uh really this was a crazy time for the band it kind of uh you know was starting to build and come to a head during even the uh technical ecstasy period but really this is just the high point of the wheels falling off of the band they were all on drugs they were all boozed out they had money problems they weren't getting along and and I think this was just the the topper I mean I think they made a valiant effort and they really tried keep it together and when you even read interviews with the guys they say man they really did put their effort in here but there was just too many circumstances outside of the focus of the music that was just blowing this thing up and um, I mean you think about how 
Ozzy was on board in the beginning. Then he took himself out of the band and they brought in uh, a temporary singer by the name of Dave Walker, who was a singer in Savoy Brown. Um, you know, they, they wrote a little bit of material there that may have been in demo form. And then Ozzy came back and I think his father was failing at that time and may have passed away. Um, so really the album is just, it's disjointed. And a lot of it was just because of the inconsistencies of each of the members. Um, I mean, you think about a song like Swinging the Chain, where Bill Ward had to sing it because Ozzy just uh, refused to sing it. It was written, but Ozzy didn't want to sing it, so Bill Ward had to step in. And then a similar parallel, the song Breakout was written with lyrics, but again, another song that Ozzy refused to sing, therefore it became an instrumental. Um, so this was a time where, you know, it was just very disjointed, but, but despite that, there was some good material on it. I mean, the title track, uh, let's say Johnny Blade, Air Dance, and Shockwave are all pretty cool songs. I mean, they had some good melody in there, good riffs. They were, let's say, shorter, quicker, a little bit more radio-friendly songs. Um, but it was really just a weird time for the band. And, and, of course, that would be the exit for Ozzy at that point in time. And probably the, probably the highlight of this era had nothing to do with them was that, you know, it was Van Halen who opened up for them all over the world globally on that 1978 tour. And it was what really put those guys on the map. And we'll talk a little bit about Van Halen later. But I think there was more discussion around Van Halen being the opener than there was on Sabbath being this tired, worn-out band that's been doing it for nine or ten years already. So that kind of was Sabbath at that period. Um, you know, Queen released Jazz. And again, this is a, another album where Queen just didn't change their formula. I mean, it was just good a good album again, and it was just their, they had that formula down at that point in time in the mid to late 70s where they just threw a variety of different types of songs in there, a pretty diverse album. Um, and they made sure that they had plenty of catchy songs that were radio friendly, with really, really good hooks. And, you know, just look at the track list, right? You got Fat Bottom Girls, Bicycle Race, Let Me Entertain You, and Don't Stop Me Now. I mean, those are the ones that people are going to really know. But you think of those songs, they're cool. They have pianos in there. They have some sort of operatic. There's orchestration in there. There's cool play on words in those songs. I mean, just really, really, really strong material. And I guess they just stuck, stuck with their formula. Um, I think, you know, one of my favorite little deep tracks on there, which you hear it every now and then, is that song Mustafa, which is really Freddie just kind of saying all these weird things in Arabic. And he's, you know, saying, Ibrahim, Allah, Allah, Allah. Just really, really cool stuff. Um, and for me personally, just a little small side note. I was eight years old when this album came out. And I do remember um, the boyfriend of my sister. He was really into all the bands we've been talking about. I have pictures of with him when I was a little boy with a rainbow shirt on he has on. And I remember this was my first introduction to Naked Ladies. And I remember him pulling me aside and pulling out the gatefold and saying, hey, Lance, check this out. Look at these girls on bicycles. And of course, being an eight-year-old boy, I was like a little embarrassed and I giggled and I didn't know what to do. But uh, one of those little good memories. So definitely uh, really, really good stuff there on Queen. And then maybe lastly on Judas Priest. Um, again, this was, I mean, you, you talk about a one-two punch in a positive way this year. I mean, they released Stained Class out first. This was, you know, let's say the first album with Les Binks on drums. Um, oddly enough, uh, this was, had to research this, this was the, incarnation of the classic Judas Priest logo that was on their merchandising and packaging at that point. That came out for this album and uh, again, just just all the way down. Great songs. Um, I actually was spinning it a little bit tonight just to get a little psyched for this podcast recording, but of course we know the songs like Exciter and Beyond the Realms of Death, but, but how about one of my all-time favorite Priest beat tracks, Saints in Hell. I can't even tell you how how many times I've cranked that one and just turned it up and they did it on that last tour and it was just completely killer. Um, and then of course you have the, the better by you better than me song, which of course was the prompting in the future for the eventual lawsuit for the suicide attempt. Um, I mean, that's one. And then they bring out killing machine later in the year with delivering the goods, hell bent for leather, the green man, Alishi, the little, let's say quieter uh, before the dawn. Um, and again, just loaded with that classic, you know, priest twin guitar sound and the fast drums and the cool imagery and the cool album color covers. And you just, you know, you throw 20 tracks on those two albums. You can probably say 18 of them are killer. So all great stuff from that end. 
Uh, well, do me a favor. Can you do that little yodel again that Freddie was doing on that album? Mustafa, Mustafa, Ibrahim, Allah, Allah, Allah. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I would like that as a sound bite <laughs> captured so I can use it as a ringtone on my phone. I, I'll edit that down. <laughs> it does. I don't know if that's exactly how it goes, so I'll have to listen to the song and try to replicate it. I, I think it has a little bit of that uh, kids' cartoon on Maja Mustafa. What was was that Lion King? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's funny shit um yeah priest priest is just fantastic and you're right those two albums you know something's fast and pounding another one's slow and builds up i remember back um back in the day i got a judas priest bootleg on a cassette from the point of entry tour and you know back in those days i was like 12 13 years old and you're just consuming this stuff continuously and i first time i heard on that tour they played beyond the realms of death and i never knew the song and you know i heard it there and then i get the studio album yeah both of those albums are just are just great 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 wrap up walt ian uh what's your take on uh the priest and queen those are your boys what do you what's your take on them well yeah i mean Queen is is always just going to be that majestic powerhouse, you know. I mean, even when they were putting out some of the obscure stuff that you know <laughs> we'll probably touch on later, they still were putting out really great music. You know, that's the one thing that never, I think, is that will never ever be questioned about them. They're just they're just so clever and just so creative with the way that they do stuff, and to still be able to have Brian May add in some some of these hard rock and guitar elements in between with things that they're doing and all of the layering and the orchestrations and stuff, really great, great material. And then, I mean, staying class and killing machine. Uh, I mean, Christ, some of the other deep tracks, I mean, savage, it's, it's just a, a monster monster song. And then you've got invader and then, you know, you jump over to the other, you've got burning up, you know, I mean, talk about, you know, trying to hit it out of the park with something that's a little bit more radio friendly at the time. Burning up is like one of those perfect songs uh, running wild. You know, I mean, this, this is just a really, I mean, that I think killing machine is probably my second favorite uh, priest album uh, out, of, out of the collection. Really. I agree with all that. Like, uh, Walt, I'm going to have to go down into a priest rabbit hole. I got tomorrow off. All right, so what else we got here? Uh, Ian, you're big on the UFO. UFO, Boston, Y&T. These are all bands that um, started building up their fan base. What do they got going on? Well, on a on an exciting but sad note, uh, you know, obsession uh, with from UFO ends up being the final album with uh, Michael Schenker on guitar. Um, but before he leaves, he puts out another rocking album with the band. Uh, he kicks off with "Only You Can Rock Me." There's the pummeling, "Pack It Up and Go." Um, you know, there's just a lot of great hot and ready. The song Cherry, if you've ever listened to uh, Strangers in the Night, uh, the song Cherry is just a kick-ass rocking song. It's got just such a cool groove with Pete Way and Michael Schenker coming in with the, this little uh, bass line in the beginning and, and just kind of builds as it goes. Just really great material. Uh, as you had mentioned, Boston, okay? Second album, Don't Look Back. Again, these guys are, are you know, taken off right where they ended uh, after the first album. Uh, two years of, uh, you know, two-year departure from the first album went seven-time platinum. I, I didn't realize that, that this thing has gone seven times platinum, but it's one, another one of those just monumental albums that people gravitate to, you know, especially, I, I mentioned it before, people of our age group, this is something that was part of the nuts and bolts of, you know, your, your youth, you know, and it's, it's there. And then you've got Y&T, as you mentioned, and Y&T, Dave Menachetti brings out all of the good stuff again with, well, this is actually, I'm sorry, the last yesterday and today before they would officially become Y&T struck down with every album. They're another band that's on that ascendancy with what they're doing with their material and how they're really putting out, high quality hard rock that is going to be 
embedded in some of the quote unquote heavy metal that we're going to be uh, discussing going down the road. Oh, I agree on the Boston. I grew up on it too. 1978 also saw the American arena rock bands being, you know, just the huge draws, the top of their game. Bands like Sticks and Foreigner and Journey. 78 Sticks released the album Pieces of Eight. Now, this had their classic lineup of Dennis DeYoung, uh, James J.Y. Young on guitar, Tommy Shaw, and the Panozo Brothers on drums and bass. Yeah, I mean, you can't not think of especially 1978 without thinking of the band Sticks. I mean, these guys were just huge. They were all over the place. They were on uh, FM radio. They were one of those AOR greats, um, you know, and this is where you start to see that shift in that dynamic where these guys, they're still, you know, packing a lot of good hard rocking songs onto their albums. You know, you've got, uh, you know, Great White Hope, you got Blue Collar Man, you got Renegade, but then you also have, you know, Dennis DeYoung still leading some of the more elaborate piano and keyboard driven uh, songs. You know, they still tend to have that nice blend that they created themselves of that rock and hard rock and progressive all wrapped up in this nice little AOR bubble, which, I mean, they were really just, you know, one of the bands at the top of their game. I mean, they really were in 78. They were firing on all cylinders. Oh, sure. Like I said, um, some of those U.S. tours, they sold out in in minutes and things were, were different back then. You know, you had lines down the street, people buying tickets. Another band that was through the roof was uh, Journey. Now, Journey, you know, they, they, they were they were weird because they had, like, complete different lineups at the first part of their career, different singers. You know, uh, Greg Rowley was doing some singing. But this is the first album where they had Steve Perry, the eventual official voice of Journey. Uh, songs like Lights and Feeling That Way, those were AOR staples. Uh, Wheels in the Sky. Neil Schoen was always considered an early guitar god, rightfully so. But the band, Steve Smith on drums, he was one of those early percussionists that as time went on, he was really respected. This this band journey wasn't just like one of those one-hit wonder bands or anything like that. These guys, obviously, are Hall of Fame material. Ian, what's your take on journey and what's your input on the Infinity release? Well, you hit it right on the head. I mean, their first few albums, the first three were very prog meets fusion um, with some, you know, some vocal parts in there. Uh, Greg Raleigh, you know, always a great voice anyways, and he still lends his singing um, onto this album, you know, and does a lot of back and forth with uh, Steve Perry, which is nice. Neil Schoen, you, you hit it on the head too. I mean, this guy is just a mammoth when it comes to his guitar playing and his chops and the riffs that he writes. And they're another band, you know, because of this AOR uh, candy that they've, you know, created uh, of themselves, you know, they have that rock and hard rock kind of edge, but then the, you know, the ballady side and some of the stuff, you know, even when you listen to the musicality still tends to have some of that, uh, almost progressive kind of nature. So you can see where they were maybe like a kissing cousin with a band like sticks, you know, when, when that stuff was going on and it uh, clearly made for a great recipe that a lot of people ate up right away. Oh, sure. Sure. I love both those bands. And the third arena rock band that was at the top of the hill was a uh, foreigner. Now 78 saw them release their second album. Well, foreigner was just a, uh, AOR machine. Uh, songs like, you know, Hot Blooded, Blue Morning, Blue Day, Double Vision. What's your take on Foreigner? Fan of them or just, you know, take them for what they are? You know, I I, I got to say that I'm a fan. You know, I'm not going to tell everybody that I own every album by Foreigner, but you, you, you nailed it again. You know, Hot Blooded, you know, Blue Morning, Blue Day, Double Vision. Those are staples of classic rock radio. They're, they're songs that are so deeply embedded in all of us. And I, you know, dare to say this, but I'm going to old rockers um, because that's, you know, part of the, uh, you know, part of this, the pillar 
that we built our heavy metal, uh, you know, kinship on, you know, I mean, that's all the stuff that we were coming up through. You saw guys back in the day, you know, they'd have their foreigner concert shirts on. And then the next day they'd be rocking, you know, a Van Halen shirt or, you know, dare I say a Judas priest, you know, I mean, it was not uncommon for all of us to delve into both sides of the spectrum when it comes to this kind of music. And I mean, they write good catchy stuff, man. I mean, you just can't deny it. And it's not something that um, they should be slighted for. Oh, not at all. Not at all. It was the seventies, man. That's what it was all about. So, so sticks journey and a foreigner arena rock pioneers. Some other albums coming out in 78 worth noting uh, Molly hatchet, that Southern rock band, you know, that hard Southern rock, their self-titled came out. Now, Molly Hatchet, in the vein of Leonard Skinner and some of those other outlaws, they were had their own thing going on down there. Danny Joe Brown, um, Dave LeBac, guitar. They had like two or three guitarists, just a fantastic band. Uh, Frank Marino, Mahogany Rush up in Canada, again, Releasing one of those live albums, you know, Frank Marino, Mahogany Rush. It's unfortunate, but he just freshly retired. He just couldn't perform anymore, but they were pretty big. That live album, I remember my brother had that live album. I remember sitting down and listening to it. There was some good stuff. Um, The Ramones, Road to Ruin. You know, the Ramones, that, that punk stuff, it's a distant cousin of this metal and hard rock. Crocus coming around with Painkiller and Stars. Now, going back, uh, we overlooked Stars back in 76. You know, we do our best up here, but they slip past the goalie. Uh, Stars, attention to shoppers, uh, their, their 78 release. Now, Ian, you were big on Stars. <laughs> the one thing that, as I had mentioned before with Moxie, you know, being a little bit more of an obscure band, but people uh, in the in the know so to speak you know kind of you know have some gravitation towards these bands you know riot is another one you know i mean people that are outside of the metal world so to speak don't really know them but stars is another band um lead vocalist for stars ended up going on eventually and getting his fame in the band wild cherry singing play that funky music white boy um but he uh Stars was another band. If you get the chance, like an angel, you know, uh, you, you go back and you listen to their material. It's a wonder that they didn't get the help that they, they needed. You know, you have to wonder, you know, sometimes, it, I mean, it's all about deals and it's all about production and it's all about this and that, but they still really put out some really great hard rock and music and it comes through on this album, just like it did with their their first album, uh, you know, back in 76. It's, I, I just, I, you know, I, sometimes when I, you know, when you come across them, it's one of the, you know, you come across some of these bands like that, that are lost in obscurity, that you hear the material, and you're like, my God, how did I not know about these guys then or how did not more people not know about these guys then you know they were just one of those bands that really i think didn't get the acknowledgement that they deserved but if you give yourself a chance now go back and check them out and be, you know you wouldn't be disappointed with it i think i will i have a heavy metal homework assignment let me write this down get into stars Okay, I got my homework. Ah, <laughs> uh, what else? What else we got here? Uh, uh, well, what's going on with Cooper? Now, he's fresh from rehab, or is he still battling the booze? Cooper has some stuff going on in Blue Oyster Cult. What's going on in those camps? So Alice releases uh, the album from the inside in 1978. Um, uh, despite Alice being, let's say, at his low point personally, um, he really never lost that creativity, and uh, he really put out another interesting concept concept album here. And this was really about his stay in the New York City asylum because of the erratic behaviors and the lifestyle he was leading because of his alcoholism. And really, the the stories and the characters named in the songs are based on 
real people that he encountered in that year stay in the, the institution. Um, what was also interesting is how he made a shout out um, to sort of his alcoholic brother, uh, Keith Moon, who had passed away around this time too, um, which was also tied into, let's say, the whole theme of it. I mean, from a, a material and song standpoint, I mean, let's let's just be, you know, straight up here. There's nothing memorable. There's no standout tracks here, really. Nothing that you're going to look back and, and think about this album in terms of a classic Alice Cooper album. But, you know, it has some cool songs. I mean, from the inside, the title track's a neat one. Nurse Rosetta, I think, is a is a stellar track, too. And then, uh, you know, some of the other, other characters, if you look at the titles of, like, the people, you have Jackknife Johnny and Millie and Billy. So, again... You know, certainly a cool themed album, but nothing that you're going to walk away looking to, to check out. Um, I think Blue Oyster Cult that year, they released a, a live album, um, Some Enchanted Evening. And I think, again, this goes back to that theme of the live albums of the late 70s. I mean, and this track listing is just packed with everything you would want to hear from a classic BOC, from ETI to Astronomy, Godzilla, Don't Fear the Reaper, you know, ME262, Harvester Revised, This Ain't No Summer of Love. I mean, even got a couple cover tracks in there, just loaded there. I mean, so we've talked about how many live albums we that have come out this year and the, the previous years, you know, segueing into Ted Nugent camp, right? Ted Nugent also jumped on that bandwagon. He released the Double Live Gonzo album, again, and that one is, is just, you know, jam-packed with everything you could possibly think of. If you think of a, you know, a, a Ted Nugent concert, what are the songs you expect to hear? And they were out there on that album. I mean, you had Stranglehold, you had, you know, of course, uh, uh, Just What the Doctor Ordered and Great White Buffalo. I mean, just everything. Store Trubin, Cat Scratch Fever, Motor City Madhouse. And again, as we were talking about this sort of America arena rock, this was another band, Ted Nugent. He was up on the, I think of it as the poster. What were the poster bands of the teenage <laughs> boys of the late seventies? You had Boston, yeah. you had Cheap Trick, you had Ted Nugent, you had Aerosmith. They were all right up there. So, and you know, Ted also released a studio album that year, uh, later in the year, Weekend Warriors. Um, there's, you know, some, let's say lesser known, but really cool tracks on here. Uh, Need You Bad and uh, the title track and Good Friends and a Bottle of Wine. And what I like about this album is it featured a different singer. His name is Charlie Hune. Um, not many people know who he is, but I actually really appreciate the guy because he's worked his way through the industry in the last couple of years. I've met him personally a couple of times. He's actually the singer of Foghat right now. And he's a fantastic, fantastic guitar player and singer. Very underrated. Look him up. Check out his repertoire. He's been in a lot of different bands. And uh, just a generally nice guy. Um, so that was kind of what was going on in the Nuge camp. Probably the other unique thing about the American bands in 78 was uh, around Kiss, where Kiss released uh, solo albums for all four members, um, all released on September of the 18th, um, 1978, all at the same time. I mean, this was actually the first time I owned an LP um, somebody in my family bought me the Ace Freely one because I loved Ace from the Shock Me, which I mentioned last episode. I was an Ace fan. And um, yeah, that was my first owning of a, an album. Um, I think it was the the beginning of the leading to, let's say, what would come on Dynasty, where they were really looking for another sound, almost to go like pop radio, you know, written songs written by songwriters on the outside and maybe capturing a little bit of that pop sound, maybe even a little disco there. So in ranking these from worst to best, I think the Peter Chris album is a flop. I mean, it's just it's the, the most lackluster of the four. I mean, reading up here, it sounds like most of the songs were actually songs from his pre-Kiss band from 1971 called Lips. I mean, the only track I ever even recall was the old 50s song, Tossing and Turning. Um, I would rank Gene's next, um, although he had guest appearances from a lot of people like Joe Perry and Bob Seger, Rick Nielsen, Donna Summer, Helen Reddy, Cher. Um, again, there's some cool songs on there. I think the song Radioactive is actually kind of fun in a weird way. It's kind of very overly catchy um, and something that'll stick in your head if you hear it once. Um, and I remember as a kid also hearing that uh, track that ended it when you wish upon a star and I was like well Jesus that's like from 
like the uh, the Disney ride or something. And so, of course, it was like completely cool as a kid to say, oh, my God, Gene, the guy with the tongue that spits blood from Kiss is doing a Disney song, something you could like listen to your, your mom. Um, the Paul Stanley one, I think, was strong. I mean, of course, it featured Bob Kulik on there, brother of Bruce, the late Bob Kulik, um, who down the road 10 years later in 1989, when Paul did his first solo tour, Bob Kulik was the uh, the artist on that uh, tour, which I did see that show in New York City. And it was probably the most Kiss-like album. I think he had strong songs like Tonight You Belong to Me, Goodbye, and Wouldn't You Like to Know Me. It's just a good, straight, rockin', rockin' album. But I think the the peak and the best one of it all, and I think you guys would probably agree, would be the Ace Frehley one. I mean, it, it featured Anton Fig, who would stay with him in his partnership in the early solo years for many years, and Willie on bass. But, I mean, this is the best of the group. I mean, you got Rip It Out, New York Groove, granted it's a cover, Snowblind, Wiped Out, Speed Him Back to My Baby, Fractured Mirror, the, instru the instrumental song that he used as a concert intro tape for many years. I mean, this is just a cool album all the way through. You can pick it up now in 2021 and listen to it, and just you will be totally pleased with it. So definitely a different time for the band, but that is my take on it from worst to best. And, uh, yep, there we go for Kiss. Um, and then, you know, touched on Cheap Trick again, they, you know, again, another poster band. I mean, guys love Cheap Trick. Girls love Cheap Trick. Everybody loved Cheap Trick. You know, they were cool. They had Rick Nielsen with uh, – his weird guitars, his giant three-neck guitars and his cool hat and his cool sneakers. And then you had the, you know, the perfect handsome, you know, uh, singer. And you got all the girls that love him and the guys. And everybody can relate to Cheap Trick. And this was, you know, again, they put out Heaven Tonight, title track, Surrender on that one, uh, California Man, Alveda saying, again, just loaded with strong songs that they're known for. So really, really good stuff from those American bands. Totally agree. Double Live Gonzo had the tape of it, had my boom box playing it on the, on the bus, on the school bus. Thought we were so cool when he did the beginning of uh, uh cat scratch fever about turn around and get the fuck out of here. Just Nugent, my first show scream dream, 1980. I love Ted cheap trick live at Budokan. That's on up there and one of the best selling live albums ever. Ian, any, uh, any take on any of these bands? I just want you to go back and think none of us now probably have any of them or at least don't have them in any great condition. But imagine if you had some of those posters from back in our childhood. I mean, just some great, great stuff in itself. I had a Van Halen poster that had to have been, I don't know, two and a half by three feet from the uh, Diver Down tour that was on my bedroom wall and that was like the that was like the, the the main piece of art when you walked into my room there it was boom over the top of the bed with you know Cheryl Teague's on the ceiling of course but you know the Van Helm was on the wall <laughs> but yeah, yeah there, there was the poster uh, Michael Anthony has the Atlas uh, sweaty sweatshirt on and Eddie with the overalls uh, you're right that memorabilia I still have some of that stuff but that's a that's another discussion. But uh, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to dive straight into that band from Pasadena, Van Halen. I'm the Vernomatic, and you're listening to The History of Metal, the year 1978. Metalheads, we all want to return to concert venues soon. Introducing Metal Mayhem ROC Metal Forever Freedom X Sanitizer. This sanitizer product is water and foam based, manufactured with proprietary HYIQ solution. That's right, no alcohol, but more effective. Manufactured following FDA sanitizer monograph guidelines. It applies smooth without irritating the skin. Safe for all ages. Keep your friends and family safe with Metal Mayhem ROC's own sanitizer. Visit Metal Mayhem ROC. ROC.com or metalforever.com to order your bottles now. Use promo code METAL at the Freedom X checkout store for a show discount. Now, now, back to Metal Mayhem ROC. Just want to remind you folks, on Monday nights, I host a live radio show, Metal Mayhem ROC Live. It's, um, you know, tons of requests. There's a chat room. People call in, 
Uh, everyone gets to know each other. It's a real good time. So uh, that's Monday nights, Metal Mayhem ROC on thatmetalstation.com. So uh, we're turning the corner on 78, and we're leaving the granddaddy of them all for the end, Van Halen from Pasadena, California. Debut album. We could have a show in itself on this album. Everyone knows the story of Van Halen. They're Rushmore, my favorite band. Eddie Van Halen's one of my favorite uh, musicians, One of, definitely one of my idols. David Lee Roth, Michael Anthony, Alex Van Halen. This band, in a nutshell, had it. They they had chemistry. They, um, they're a once-in-a-generational band. The, the work of Eddie Van Halen, he's up there with Hendrix, Les Paul, um, Eric Clapton as pioneers of the guitar, him and his brother Alex Van Halen, immigrants from uh, the Netherlands in the uh, mid-early uh, 50s. They spoke their own language, folks. The Just the chemistry between them is uh, just astonishing. David Lee Roth, what can you say? D- Dave, um, he was a fantastic arranger of music. He had the ear. He just pulled from his a kaleidoscope of influences that's been well documented from uh, urban dance to um, folk music. Just Dave was what made that band great in addition to the musicianship. Ian, I know these guys are, uh, if not at the top, right near the top. What's your take on Van Halen and that debut album? Van Halen, gone to head, all-time favorite band. Who's your all-time favorite band? Van Halen. Okay. I don't even have to dispute with anybody as much respect and love as I have for Sammy Hagar, Van Halen with David Lee Roth. There is none more that needs to be said. The the level of skill that all of these guys have together, and you have to remember when they were cultivating everything before, you know, pre Michael Anthony, you know, I mean, they, they they had a lot of the foundation in place, but when Michael came in and allowing them to stretch those vocal harmonies and what he was able to bring musically as a bass player helped to shift. So now you saw the full picture getting imagined. And, and like you said, I mean, Eddie is just a master of his instrument when it comes to his playing his combination of both rhythm and soloing throughout the songs and then he goes into his solos you know and then he just floors everybody and the sound and the tone that he has and then you've got alex with the it's just it, it's like the the amalgamation of ultra tribal drumming and uh, jazz and blues grooves and everything together just mishmashed into this amazing kaleidoscope of 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 sonic percussiveness then you've got michael over there with that freaking bass and that high vocal harmony that he sings and the way that he's able to pull that together and then you've got the ringleader and you've got david lee roth and i will go to the grave defending david lee roth I, he may not be the greatest singer but you can never picture classic Van Halen being sung by anybody else but David Lee Roth, period. His voice was perfect for the band. He did what he needed to do. He brought in his shtick. He brought in his tongue-in-cheek humor. He brought in every little element that needed to be there to help bring them to another level. You said it. He was the guy that had the ear when these guys, they were trying to cultivate their music. Alex and Eddie were very much in the rudimentary stuff that we enjoy the Sabbath and the Zeppelin and deep Bowl and the cream and those types of bands. They, it was, it was all hard rock all the time, ready to boom, boom, boom. But he was the guy that kind of helped pull them into, wait, let's bring in some of these pop sensibilities. And once they get into the studio and Ted Templeman sees that he's got some kinship with Dave and can have that communication with him. And Dave can bring that back to the band and say, let's do it like this. Now, the magic happens. And this first album is a freaking doozy. If it's not the greatest debut album of all time, it is at least in the top three period. I agree a thousand percent Van Halen. Like I said, it's my top band. The only other debut album I could um, put a claim for possibly appetite for destruction. I, I give Van Halen one, the nod, 
But um, if there's a classic debut album, you know, Rushmore, it'd be Appetite. So we're wrapping up 1978, and Ian has a few bands that are, uh, just like we always say, gaining their chops, honing their skills in basements and garages around the world. Ian, uh, what do you you got for us this week? Well, you know, right at the top of the list, I mean, all of us uh, metalheads are going to appreciate a bunch of these these bands. Uh, You've got Anvil uh, getting their start up in uh, Canada, as well as a a little speed metal band called Exciter over in Britain. You've got uh, the band Fist and Girl School. Uh, down in LA, you've got uh, Nikki Six joining uh, hands with uh, Kelly Gary and uh, doing the band London. Around the same time as when you have a, a young Swede by the name of Ingve Malmsteen uh, getting himself uh, ready to uh, land on the American shores. Uh, Pagan Altar, a great doom metal band. Plasmatics, Wendy O. Williams, rest in peace. Tigers of Pantang. You know, you can't talk new wave of British heavy metal without thinking about them and uh, the guitar playing of John Sykes. Uh, another uh, new wave band, uh, you've got Venom. Uh, you know, I mean, there's really a lot of cool stuff that's uh, looking to be cooking uh, up here, bringing us some uh, music down the road that we'll be talking about. Oh, uh, here's a fun fact. Uh, Wendy Williams, Plasmatics, Rochester, New York native. She went to school in Webster, New York. So that's... Uh... Part of the really Metal Mayhem ROC connection to the Arizona punk underworld. Uh, some of these uh, Canadian bands, really like you cool said, stuff. Anvil and Exciter. Uh, when we dig deeper into some of these lists, it's amazing how many great acts actually come from our friends up north. Yeah, yeah, uh, Canada. Uh, going uh, Expanding on this, Ingve Malmsteen, I think his first break was with Alcatraz, and then he got into the um solo stuff uh let's see what else was in there um that's about actually, it actually just just a real quick correction on it his first break was with Steeler, with ron oh, keel that's right that's right yes yep they actually sent him a ticket got him over here promised him all of these <laughs> posh luxuries to stay and uh, they were living in this roach infested dump that he uh, pitched a fit about so one of the managers actually ended up moving him into his, I think it was his aunt and uncle's house. So that's, that's, that's some pretty, uh, some pretty deep stuff there for, for Ingve. And then obviously right after that, he, he springboarded, got right on with Graham Bonnet and did Alcatraz. So. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And eventual replacement of Ingve and Alcatraz and um, Steve Vai, that whole connection and, Oh, yeah. It's just the tree, <laughs> the uh, yeah. the 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 guitar god branch of this heavy metal tree. We'll have to dedicate a little time for that later on. So, all right, Ian. Well, thanks, man. That's always uh, you're always doing your heavy metal homework and getting us up to speed on new bands on the horizon. My pleasure, brother. So, as you can see, uh, the seventies. We're the next episode we're going to be doing 1979, but things are really changing in the next year or so. The big bands, the real metal starts coming in. So, uh, like in this episode, uh, we touched on some of the again, the arena bands, the Boston's, the Journeys, the um, Sticks, those kind of bands, uh, Deep Purple, Zeppelin. These are all legendary acts that were the formative years. And they're sort of running their course, and the young guns are coming up. Uh, Priest, Scorpions, they've uh, formulated their sound, and they're ready to take the next step. And coming up in 79, like Ian mentioned, the um, other metal bands are coming around. So we're really looking forward to what the end of the 70s and the 80s has to bring. Again, we'll remind you about the uh, Monday Night Metal Show. ThatMetalStation.com hosts Metal Mayhem ROC Live. Go to the MetalMayhemROC.com website, gain information, and more importantly, do us a favor. Go and review some of these shows. You could go to PodChaser.com, leave a review if you're listening to this on the Apple Podcast app. That kind of stuff helps the bottom line and helps get this podcast uh higher ranking 
So that being said, uh, let me get out of here. I want to thank Metal Walt from New Jersey and Ian O'Rourke from the band Motorlord for helping me navigate this history of metal. Walt, do me a favor. Can you do that little yodel again that Freddie was doing on that album? Mustafa, Mustafa, Ibrahim, Allah, Allah, Allah. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I would like that as a sound bite <laughs> captured so I can use it as a ringtone on my phone. <laughs> I, I'll edit that down, it does. <laughs> I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. And as always, keep it heavy. Talk to you next week. Metal for Life. Thanks for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our websites at MetalMayhemROC.com and MetalForever.com for information on upcoming concerts, podcasts, archives, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. Catch us next time on WLFE-DB Radio. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.